Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, and welcome to our Take Control of Your Health podcast, in which we bring you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. This next interview is part of my Best of series, which features some of the most popular interviews with leading health experts. So thank you for listening. Now let's get started with this week's program to help you and your family take control of your health. Burnout, a problem that so many of us face. What can we do? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Maroon who is a professor of neurosurgery at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And he also happens to be the team neurosurgeon of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the way I was introduced to him is he's uh, written papers with one of my heroes, Dr. Thomas Seafried, who is the, the world-renowned pioneer in mitochondrial metabolic therapy and the use of diet to treat cancer. So welcome, and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Maroon. My great pleasure, Dr. So you have an interesting history, to say the least. You've been around for a while. You are uh, quite renowned and treat many celebrities. So why don't you walk us through your journey, which is quite interesting. And you've written the book, Burnout. Yes. Yeah. Square One. I'm sorry? Square One, which is about burnout. Sorry, Square One, which is... which focuses on burnout and some practical, simple strategies that aren't necessarily rocket science, but it's it's very inspiring to uh, see them all in one place. So why don't you start with by sharing your journey with us so that we have a understanding of the framework from your perspective. Absolutely. Uh, about rather impressive success, uh, cataclysmic failure personally, and then the lessons learned. I first finished my training many years ago. Uh, I was intent on becoming the, the very best that I could in terms of my profession, neurosurgery. I, uh, I worked extremely diligently. I found out that uh, it became an all-encompassing pursuit for me in my life. And what was success? Uh, societal approval, writing papers, going to national meetings, uh, talking about the great things we were doing. And then after being the chief of neurosurgery at a major university hospital, uh, within a one week period of time, my family broke up. I, uh, my father died and I had to quit my, my profession as a neurosurgeon university. And the next week I ended up helping my mother run a rather dilapidated truck stop to her by my father in Wheeling, West Virginia area, uh, living on a farm. So one day I was doing brain surgery, was literally uh, filling up 18 wheelers and flipping hamburgers, run down truck stuff. And it was a a great fall. It it was kind of like the, the Icarian a metaphor of flying too near the sun scorched and I literally plummeted into the sea and it was a sea of depression and I, I went through all of the symptoms of burnout that we see in 50% of physicians these days 
was emotionally and physically exhausted. Uh, I lost a sense of perspective. I was depressed. I had no real connection with the work that I had gone through seven years of residency and fellowships and 10 years of practice to get to. It was at that point that I, I picked up a book uh, by William Danforth, you. It was given to me as a high school prize, actually. And basically, what Danforth emphasized was that it's the most important thing to attain in life. And to attain balance, you had to really uh, take into consideration what you speak and write about almost daily in some way or another, Dr. McCullough. You had to take into consideration the social side of your life the spiritual side of your life, the physical side of your life, in terms of diet and the epigenetic factors that we both write about, that in perspective with your work. And, um, and he emphasizes that to lead a balanced life, one needs to draw a square. On the top of the square, you literally write work. On the other side, you write family, social, you write spiritual on the other side, physical, and then you draw a line to how much time you spend on each one of these sides. And when I, when I drew my square, uh, it looked like a single line EKG. There was no family, duality, and there was no physical. And serendipitously, at that time, the, the, the banker who held the mortgage on the truck stop I think he wanted to see if I could survive to pay off the truck stuff for a run. And I said, I can't do it. I haven't run for 10 years. I'm 20 pounds overweight. I didn't get the track, made it around the track once and said never again, four times, quarter of a mile, one mile. It was the first night I slept in about four months. Down and did it myself and around and around two miles, three miles, and pretty soon my, my neurotransmitters, if you would, in the balance, I began to lose weight. And it was the physical and then subsequently the spiritual aspect to a semblance of balance. And then eventually uh, back to my profession a year later. So I literally was a dropout, a burned out dropout for surgery. And it was the incredibly powerful aspect, the dopamine, the, uh, the BDNF that, that we both speak about, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor that makes new brain cells, new synaptic connections and neuroplasticity that really got me back in, into, my, into my profession and life and back into a balanced uh, a balanced place. So that's the, the quick overview that we could elaborate any way you would like. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Exercise is a profoundly effective treatment tool. There's no question. I've been doing that probably just coming up on short of 50 years now. So I've embraced it for a long time. And, it, you know, the, the challenge is how to integrate it optimally. And I certainly made my share of mistakes in overdoing it and finding the, the right balance is so key. But it does stimulate some really important metabolic pathways. Uh, that uh, like BDNF, as you mentioned, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, but also PGC1-alpha, which is a pathway responsible for increasing the number of mitochondria 
uh, that produce energy in your body. So it's a, one of the, the most effective ways to do this through exercise. So, uh, you know, one of the, I, I, I'm intrigued. I'm wondering if you could expand on how you connected with Dr. Seafried. Was it through your uh, work on uh, the sharing patients with him who had uh, brain cancer and he was connected with, and, and you were the neurosurgeon for that cancer? And because you wound up writing some fairly impressive articles with him. Thank you. Uh, well, as a neurosurgeon, I take care of patients with, on, a, on a weekly, monthly basis. And uh, in my 35 years or so of neurosurgical practice, virtually no significant improvement in the treatment of malignant brain tumors. That add three to five months or so, no advances that I could recommend to my patient with this and I, I, in the literature, I, I read Tom's papers and subsequently contacted him. And uh, Miriam uh, Kalamian, also know and, and write about, uh, who's an expert in a ketogenic diet. And then I went on a ketogenic diet myself, and uh, uh, I, I found that the, the four to one ratio that they talk about in terms of the it's a very difficult diet, mm -hmm. and and I think you know in recent in, in reading your recent book, Fat for Fuel, I, I think you've done a tremendous service. Want to go on the the mitochondrial metabolic diet, mm -hmm. clearly like a essentially a ketogenic diet, and and you have guidelines in there and explanations that are absolutely beautifully outlined and absolutely needed, not only for brain tumor patients, any patient with malignant tumor that depends on glucose for its metabolic substrate. Uh, so anyway, I got to know Tom that way, and I had him here at the University of Pittsburgh as a visiting professor. We co-authored a couple of papers together now. I, I'm an incredible proponent of of what he's what he's teaching, lecturing, recommending, uh, and to get it right. Well, good. So, thank you for your kind words. Uh, I was indirectly motivated to write the book through Dr. Seafried. Uh, I had interviewed him actually a few years previously, but then I read Travis Christofferson's book, Tripping Over the Truth, and Travis is just a brilliant author. I put it together in such an eloquent way that I finally, the lights clicked on and I had this epiphany and understood it, at the, 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 the potential of the application of this intervention. So I was motivated to write a practical guide and uh, actually applied it like myself, like you, and made some serious mistakes that I think many people do because they think if this is, you know, if it's burning fat for fuel so good, well, let's do it all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what I learned is that's a prescription for disaster. And so I really place a strong emphasis in the book on cycling in and out of it once you transition to burning fat as your primary fuel. Because I made the mistake and I just went too long and I started losing muscle mass and looking way too thin and like, look, I was coming up a starvation camp. And then it realized that's not a good strategy because we're, that's not the way nature works. We're supposed to cycle in and out and eat lots of good, healthy carbs and fruits, but do it in a, in a, in a, in a sensible fashion where you can still maintain the ability, the metabolic flexibility to burn fat. So I'm wondering if you went through the same process yourself and understood yeah. that cycling was a, was a key. 
Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I, I had the identical experience to what you did. Uh, I, start, I became weaker. I, had, I didn't have the stamina, the strength. I, I continued to participate in triathlons. And I found myself not having enough fuel to do that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I kind of evolved as you outline in your book. I'm really not blowing smoke. I really mean it. When I read your outline of how to approach this, simplify it so well for patients, understandable, doable, and it's basically what I evolved to on my own, and you've yeah. been able to beautifully elucidate it. Well, well, thank you again for those kind words, and, and I wasn't expecting that because I didn't even know that you had a copy of the book, truthfully. I mean, this is not like a, you know, we, we organized beforehand to, to say those things, but it's, it's uh, thank you for the words. But it, interestingly, looking at some of the feedback on some of the Amazon reviews is that there's a significant number of people who think it's too complicated, too complex, that they actually have to measure their food, you know, well... You know, the book was written for people who are ready to die, okay? You know, that don't really have another choice or really want to change their life. So, yes, I mean, it is extreme and to some extent. I mean, you have to invest a few hours, you know, maybe buy a $10 kitchen scale and measure your food and enter it into a database to figure things out. But not forever. It's just short term. So, yeah. you know, I, I just am challenged by individuals who think everything should be handled on a silver platter and this is what you do. But, uh, you know, you, it, the book outlines the principles and you customize it to your own needs because there's individual variability is, is profound. And, you know, what works for someone is not going to work for the other. But the key is the principles. And, and I'm glad you enjoyed them. Uh, but you're a little bit biased because you have a tremendous amount of knowledge and you're coming from a different perspective than the average individual. So I just want to emphasize that although it may seem intimidating for some if you have limited insights, uh, and you don't have to do it. If you're not suffering from any diseases, you're healthy, you got the normal weight, and there's, you know, you do not have to do this. You may be doing, you may be fine already, especially if you're like a vegetarian who, in, who is indirectly, they're doing this, you know, because they have such a small amount of protein and they tend to have really high amounts of net carbs, uh, not net carbs, but uh, low amounts of net carbs and high amounts of fiber. So they're probably in metabolic, uh, a bit, have the metabolic capacity to burn fuel, fat for fuel, and that don't need it. But if you're sick, as the vast majority of people watching this are, yeah. you know, 90% yeah. of the country is, you know, 70% of people are overweight and, you know, another 20% on top of it have some sort of chronic disease or struggling. Well, this is something to consider. Well, there's no question. And I think the, the various diseases that it's good for that, that you again outline, mm -hmm. uh, everything from fibromyalgia to arthritis, uh, cancer, neurodegenerative diseases of the brain, I, I clearly have recommended that uh, as a thing that people can do, hopefully to prevent amyloid and neurofibrillary tangles, uh, uh, to slow down the neurodegenerative process. So yeah. Again, it's and the, and the book isn't it, just about a, a diet. I mean, it's, it's MMT, mitochondrial metabolic therapy, yeah. and the therapy are other essentially biohacks you can use to improve your mitochondrial function like intermittent fasting like regular fasting like cold thermogenesis like the use of tools like very specific frequencies of near-infrared light that is profoundly effective for actually reversing some of the challenges that we see with alzheimer's and and, and dementia neurodegenerative other neurodegenerative diseases so i don't i don't know if you're using those now but an investigator i've interviewed previously uh, 
a PhD researcher, Dr. Michael Hamblin out of Harvard and MIT, has been using them and published studies showing it works pretty well. So, I mean, that's a really yeah. simple intervention. These, and these lights are not expensive. They're typically well under $100. Well, as you mentioned, the, the biological, physical aspect of stressing the body mm -hmm. actually activates various genes, the sirtuin genes and others that lead to very positive metabolic factors. My book kind of is, is along those lines in the sense that it's about adversity. Mm -hmm. adversity teach, it teaches resilience. It teaches uh, creativity, survival. And you know what, what Nietzsche said, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. I mean, it's kind of like that way at some extent with fasting, but it's also with the emotional problems experience and then found a way to get back to very, the most productive time of my life by balancing my life, which is basically what I talk about, a simple guide to a balanced life. And as you said, it's not a profound discovery. It's not uh, something that's that unique. But when you look at it in the shape of a square, and every day I get up, I say, where am I going to get my physical exercise? Hour a day. I know my work is going to be taken care of. What am I going to do to touch the lives of my kids and my family? And the spirituality, I think, is an incredibly important part. You and I relating to patients. Mm -hmm. One of the most important things I do is, is that with, with my patients. Well, let's go into that a bit. I've interviewed another author previously, Scott Carney, who wrote the book, Whatever Doesn't Kill Us, or something to that effect. And he yeah. outlines Wim Hof's uh, cold thermogenesis primarily and some deep breathing ap approaches. But I'm using that as an example of a metabolic ad adversity which can radically improve your health. And I'm wondering if you could draw a similar uh, analogy to the examples that you illustrate in your book of having this life adversity that superficially appears to be taking you out. And depression, let's not kid ourselves, depression does kill tens of thousands of people every year and it kills it by a disease called suicide. So it, it, it can take you out. So why, can, why don't you walk us through the, the, the sequence that you identified and the lessons you learned in uh, life adversities? Well, we all know that you can't avoid stress in this world. And divorce, our jobs, 40% of most people have difficulty with job relationships. 50% Mayo Clinic study recently, 50% of doctors have burnout symptoms of physical or emotional exhaustion, overworked, overwhelmed, over, over everything, overcommitted. And what happens, you describe in, in your newsletters all the time, you get an elevated cortisol level in your blood. What does cortisol do to the brain? kills brain cells and what does it do to memory it, it, it reduces memory or tissues and, and and everything else well that that, so, I, that would be excess cortisol because you need some if you could exactly. like, if you take chronic cortisol down to it's, zero like ketogenesis uh, you know it's a bad thing you need some but you excess cortisol right and but that's what excess chronic unremitting stress which is what i personally went through incredible depression so what you know most doctors think that depression instead of SSRIs if they give SSRIs antidepressants clearly I have no doubt that that 
physical activity is the most effective antidepressant that we can use. Somebody who's depressed to motivate, to walk their 30 minutes or their one hour, or do the, the kind of exercises, the HITS exercises that you emphasize. Press all levels down, get your neurotransmitters back into order, your dopamine, your serotonin, your acetylcholine. So the, the point is that escape adversity, we can't escape stress. But what happened to me is I didn't recognize how bad off I was in a unidimensional life. I didn't recognize it until I was working like a, a working in a truck stop as a pump jockey. So realized I had to come back. So from your experience, what would you uh, caution others as warning signs and signals so they don't have to go through the life struggle and adversity that you went through? Although sometimes there's really no other choice because you got to hit the bottom before you wake up. You know, unfortunately, that is true. Uh, that is true. But sometimes that's when suicide occurs. That's when alcoholism, opioids and everything else can take over. Two, two roads, two paths diverge in the woods. I think the most important thing that I missed was mindfulness. I didn't have insight into where I was. Mm -hmm. Insight, how I got there uh, when everything was lost. Hit bottom and then you have to really reassess. To reassess what is the importance of nutrition. And, you know, in, in our book, we discuss the, the epigenetic factors and the nutrigenomic factors, how our food activates various inflammatory or anti-inflammatory cytokines and, uh, and, and, and peptides. Or to understand that we choose how we control our, our genes. We do it. We make our choice every day when we go to the cafeteria whether we're going to activate our genes for good or bad, inflammation or anti-inflammation. Right, inflammation is the common cause of arthritis, cancer, to some extent, neurodegenerative diseases. And, and also recognize, again, it's mindfulness of where you are, and the importance of physical activity, absolutely essential. Healthy things that we describe in the book of what physical activity does to the brain, heart, the, the organs. And then, incredibly important to avoid environmental toxins, as alcohol, our water, our pollution, our, the, the, the glyco, glyophosphates that, that we hear about daily, again, that you're so eloquent about, remembering that we must control stress. How do you control stress? If you look at the people who live to be centenarians more than any place else, where are they? Okinawa, Sardinia, Seventh-day Adventist in Loma Linda, California. They all have in common a healthy diet and work. They work hard, which is their physical activity, give environmental toxins, and they control stress with usually a very strong family unit or religion or church. All those things are mindfulness, all reduce stress, the excess cortisol, and try to keep our bodies in balance. Yes, those are good strategies. And uh, exercise can work incredible um, results in many people like it did for you, but it doesn't work for everyone. And you know, I can 
certainly recall many instances in my political practice where I had some very competitive athletes who were exercising probably even too much and you know were suffering some severe episodes of severe episodes of depression. So there are other strategies, of course, and this isn't going to be all about how to recover from that. But you know, I found tools like uh, energetic psych psychology. Uh, EFT or emotional freedom technique as being a very useful yes. tool. It's not necessarily uh, done by yourself, but with a skilled therapist, because it does take uh, quite a bit of clinical training to develop expertise in how to apply and use this effectively. Uh, not that you can't use it yourself, it's just I wouldn't expect life-changing events with yeah. it. So I'm wondering if, if you uh, sought out any strategies for that a lot like that uh, in your process of resolving the challenges you were you engaged in your life uh, challenge. Well, I, I haven't used that specific uh, uh, strategy. I've I found I know what I need to do balance in my own life, both mentally, physically, spiritually, uh, and I I find that for me to be the most effective. Uh, I kind of recommend the same thing, uh, but I, I think you're exactly right. It's whatever strategy works. And just like when we're speaking of spirituality, uh, is it a specific religion? Not necessarily. Is it mindfulness? I think that's incredibly important. Is it yoga? Is it the other kinds of disciplines that it's whatever results in our ability to focus at the time? Phenomena that Cheek Sentinel Haley writes about total proponent about that. So how long did it take you to understand this process and implement it and, and achieve the improvement that you were seeking? Well, it took about, I would say, three to six months. Mm -hmm. But remarkably, I, I noticed that, that four times around the high school track was the first night I slept in months. I tried all sorts of medical approaches to that. So the same with antidepressants. But I it caught on, and then it was over the course of six to eight weeks going down, I realized I was putting terrible fuel into my body, truck stop food. And, and then with starting to get my serotonin levels up a little bit, I started feeling better. And then the spirituality. I, I, I grew up with for 12 years, and you fall back on... I think the bedrock, which you were raised on sometimes, mm -hmm. that helped me very much. I, I got back into the, the, the principles of Christianity, helping and reaching out to others. And I, I think that's a key portion. You know, we give but little when we give of our possessions. It's when we give of ourselves that we truly give. And it's getting out of yourself. It's not me, 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 me all the time. Is reaching out to others. Incredibly blessed to do what we do. Every day, I'm seeing patients and I'm drawing on whatever expertise I have to try to manipulate their biochemistry and their biology. There's millions of people on a daily basis. I'm kind of still a craftsman, one patient at a time. One patient at a time is incredibly gratifying, exhilarating, and, and there's no greater profession in my mind. There, there's no question about that, and it is one of the things that I miss after having made the transition to being a full-time 
uh, editor and helping run the site at Mercola.com. Um, and I couldn't agree more with you that ultimately it all comes down to that one-on-one -on -one interaction. I don't care if you're treating millions or billions of people and helping them. If you don't communicate in some way, shape, or form directly, preferably personally and eye to eye, you won't get the emotional benefit. And I do get it. That's one of the reasons why I, I uh, go into lecture and teach because usually the number of th few thousand people at each one and invariably people will come up and share their story. And I'm just, I'm just break down in tears almost listening to it. And it's that, that's where you get your reward. And many of these for people that had, uh, had been usually not previous patients cause it's been a while now, but th their stories go back 10, 15, even 20 years. Of and literally life changing, and you can say, "Wow, I cannot believe the impact we're having." Because you know, you're sitting at home and, do, and doing your work, and you just have no idea of the influence. But it, I couldn't agree more. It's the one-on-one -on -one connection with the individuals. Otherwise, it's just it's all some it's all in the nebulous, mysterious ether. You know, and you just never get yeah. the feedback, and yeah. you go, you get no emotional impact from that. Yeah. This morning, I saw 20 patients with back, neck, head problems, and I see the medications that are used by the tons that really, and I see the side effects of these things. And I think, again, that's why I'm so attracted to what you, what you lecture, what you talk about. The natural approach to complicated medical problems when it can be utilized appropriately is still the best. So, Omega I'm wondering what your con, uh, colleagues uh, view of your position and your approach. Do they, have you been ridiculed or do you, did they, uh, is that impacted well, your ability to practice in any way? Because typically it does. You, you, remember, you remember the, the quotation from Schopenhauer, all new ideas initially are ridiculed, violently opposed, and then they're accepted as self-evident. And I started talking about omega-3 fatty acids 10 years ago after hearing a lecture by our mutual friend, Dr. Perlmutter. And I came back and my associate, Jeff Post, and I wrote a book on omega-3 fatty acids and fish oil. And they, people thought, you know, Maroon lost it. He's a neurosurgeon talking about fish oil. Come on, you, you got to be kidding me. And then we did a, two, a, a survey of 250 patients who came into our office with neck pain on non-steroidals that kill 15,000 people a year, hospitalize another 100,000, and I put them on omega-3, 60% were able to get off of non-steroidals. The national meeting actually won first prize at the National Neurosurgical Meeting, which was unheard of. But since then, there's been grudging acknowledgement that, hey, maybe there is something to this. On and on that way, and clearly, like you, I'm, I, I've, I've done eight Ironman triathlons. I'm competing in two weeks in an Ironman triathlon in Maryland. years old. And, you know, I'm still active. So I try to live. To, I, I, I live what I taught, just like you. Well, you are. And, and in some ways, I see uh, you following a pattern that I did earlier in my life. And I know you're older than I am now, but you're you're but you didn't start the process until much later than I did. So I made the mistakes of engaging in excessive cardiovascular activity and, and seriously regret it. But you know, I embrace it and still love myself despite doing that. <laughs> but I suffered some health consequences as a result. And, and, I, and I don't recommend or encourage anyone to engage in that type of activity. 
because the body doesn't need it. I mean, you don't need that much exercise to stay healthy. You need relatively small amounts, and you need to target. It's like a rifle, like a neurosurgeon. You don't go in there and blast out the whole brain. You target yeah. things yeah. specifically. Yeah. So, you know, targeted high-intensity high training, that my new version is the Zach Bush nitric oxide dump, which only takes three minutes and do that two or three times a day, and maybe not even every day. And then these mobility exercises and walking, simple things that don't cost anything. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, it's okay to do triathlons, but, you know, you've got to be careful as you get older. I, but I would caution and encourage you to consider, and you're probably still doing some, but, you know, it's so much more important to do strength training when you get older. That because Boy, of this, yeah. the, the sarcopenia yeah. and the progressive loss of muscle. So you want to retain as much, much muscle mass as you can as you grow older because you just otherwise you'll be disabled and crippled. And, it's, and you know, you can always turn your body around, but the older you get, the harder it is. There's no question. Yeah. No, there's no question. But this, I think it's the uh, mental, incremental overload of the body mm -hmm. that, again, makes you stronger. And it has to be incremental. You just don't go from zero to this. You have to do it incrementally, and you increasingly stress your body. But I, I like your targeted way. Uh, the shorter, high-intensity exercise mm -hmm. is really all that's needed. Yeah, to get the general fitness you need and then combine it with, <clears throat> see it, so many of us, and I fell into that trap. You know, I was exercising an hour a day for like 30 or 40 years and frequently much more than an hour a day, sometimes two or three hours a day. And then I would sit down for like 12 hours, 15 hours. And I destroyed my health by doing that. I really did. I mean, you, it's yeah. it's this engagement and movement throughout the entire day that is so much more important. And, and not just moving around, but in, in all types of different positions. That's why people who are have physical labor as part of their 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 job requirements stay healthier because they yeah. they they maintain these this flexibility that they were designed to have and that you know we were really exposed to for millennia and all our ancestors were that were designed to have that. So it's an important component. It's again everything in moderation and balance. Yeah, you need exercise. You need a degree of meditation, spirituality, and mind. So you need to avoid the environmental toxins. That. Yeah, my my new passion probably is going to be the result of my, my next book. Not the result, but the topic or the focus is the. Uh, one of the most dangerous toxins is the microwave radiation we're experiencing from our cell phones, our cell phone towers, our Wi-Fi routers. And, uh, you know, we have to take, not that we should abandon them and it's virtually impossible to do that in 21st century, uh, but to use them wisely and to guard against excessive exposure, which is pretty, you have to be hyper diligent to do that. And you could, you have the best diet, you get the best exercise program, you have the best meditation and spiritual practice and the best sleeping habits. But if you're blasting your body with this radiation, you can't see, hear, or feel, at least most people can't. Some of the electrosensitive can, but most of us can't. You're going to be damaged and you're going to die prematurely. There's just no way around it. I mean, it's really clear when you study the, the literature. Correct. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. And it's just not, uh, you know, even in the paleo or the nutritional ketosis community, it's something that's not typically appreciated. It is more in the health communities, but it's a, it's a big, big issue, and there's some simple strategies that one can use. Agreed. So um, now I'm curious, let's delve a little bit into uh, <clears throat> what something I alluded to earlier, was, was that you really are a, a physician to many celebrities. 
And I was really surprised when I read the list of endorsements from your book to all these literally a larger amount. These, I mean, you can't, having written a number of books, I know you can't pay celebrities to write an endorsement. You've got to know them personally. And I suspect many of them were your patients. So I'm wondering if you can tell us how you arrived to the point where you were treat, treating so many celebrities, uh, sports celebrities and, and movies, movie stars and all those individuals. So how, how did you, how did that happen? Well, it, it happened as the unintended side effect, if you would, of doing what I did on a daily basis well. Locations, we, uh, I, I've used the local Pittsburgh Steelers sports team, which I've been a, a, a team neurosurgeon for for over 25 years, kind of as a laboratory. A laboratory in the sense we made observations about neck problems, about low back pain, ruptured lumbar discs. And, and we, we wrote about the, the, the diagnosis and the treatment and the success with minimally invasive surgery that we were able to get athletes back to playing professional sports, basketball, football, baseball, in terms of herniated discs in the neck, lumbar area. Uh, and uh, so with through publications, uh, you develop a certain degree of notoriety, and, and then when you operate on quite a few athletes, relatively small community, and, 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 and the word gets out uh, about, again, it's about caring, about empathy, about doing the very best job on every patient you can. Uh, Greg Norman, for instance, is a, is a, is a close friend now who uh, endorsed the book and uh, is just one of the greatest athletes ever. Amalu, who was the all-pro linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers for many years. You know, we, we develop a personal relationship as well as a professional relationship. Sanjay Gupta, uh, the CNN uh, commentator, is a neurosurgeon at Emory University in Atlanta. He used to operate uh, as well as do his job in and as, as you saw from his commentary, it, it, uh, it made a significant difference in how he perceived the importance of various things in his own life. Because, again, it's not complicated. It's simple. So it, it's by doing the right thing every day that the good things happen. Well, great. So I'm wondering, with your advanced knowledge, at least relative to the conventional medical community, uh, and your position with the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the common challenges that many football players professionally go through is this B, uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury. And mm -hmm. it seems there's some really very powerfully effective, simple interventions you know, after the injury occurs. Of course, obviously the best one is prevention and there's a lot being done to address that now. But I'm wondering if you developed any specialized protocols and, and achieved any uh, interesting results as a result of those interventions. Well, Dr. McCullough, you mentioned your next book, mm -hmm. the next paper. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've given a lot of thought to this. And as you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy has many similarities to Alzheimer's disease in terms of the mm -hmm. neuropathology of neurofibrillary tangles. Uh, which is a hallmark of Alzheimer's, as well as the beta amyloid plaque deposition. So, and, and this is so obvious to you, but what do you do about a neurodegenerative disease mm -hmm. that uh, is progressive? 
Well, you don't eat a Western diet. You don't stop exercising. You don't overload with toxins like alcohol, uh, opioids, and, and, and smoke, and drugs. And you control stress. So it's the four epigenetic factors need to be emphasized uh, to these individuals who have had multiple, multiple head hits to the head. I won't say concussions or subconcussive blows. It's what it's referred to. Mm-hmm. I think, and and again, I what you outlined in fat for fuel kinds of things that I think athletes who have been subjected to TBI uh, could benefit from extremely well. Have you had the opportunity to implement them clinically and see any results? I have not, but what, what I, my, honestly, my agenda this year, a, a program for individuals who have had TBI that we're both talking about as you said it's not rocket science it's not brain surgery and it's not unique but it's something that i think has has physiological and biochemical basis well this could be one of the most important reasons that we're doing this this interview because i I, i'm convinced from a whole variety of different perspectives that that this is a big issue it's a big issue for not only uh, tbi but also obviously for alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases so i would encourage you especially with your influence you have the ability to do this to implement a protocol like this but the key that's going to be missed by almost every other researcher almost everyone's going to miss this is to use near infrared light uh, at about 830 nanometers would be ideal although you can go up to 850 anywhere from 810 to 850 will work but integrate that as soon as possible, as soon as possible, and probably even early on into the intervention is high-dose curcumin, a microactive form that's highly absorbable, radically reduce the inflammation swelling and the pressure so the nerves don't get damaged. But the infrared light, that's gonna recharge the batteries in those mitochondria. It will, it will stop mitochondrial dysfunction, secondary to the inflammation and the trauma. So it is so simple to do. There's virtually no side effects. And it's like, there's no, it's not toxic in any way, shape or form. I mean, all you just to do, and we, we could talk offline on some strategies how to do it because the, the equipment is under $100 to do it and they can buy one for themselves and you know, just recommend to get online on Amazon. So I think yeah. that if you could That's start awesome. a protocol like that, establish some results, I mean, you could change the whole professional treatment of this, this condition and help not only professionals, but you know people that play at the non-professional level, even all the way down to high school and even junior high. Dr. Ricola, there's no professional treatment of this now. It's kind of, <laughs> there's none, really. I mean, what, what's your opinion on hyperbaric oxygen therapy? I, I think it's a great tool. Certainly it's useful and it's an integral part of many uh, important uh, cancer protocols. Uh, I think there's probably a safer and less expensive way to treat it. I like EWOT or exercise with oxygen therapy. It's, you can buy a whole system for $6,000 and essentially replicate many of the same metabolic benefits as hyperbaric oxygen at a radical reduction in the cost. And certainly compliance is easier because you can put these in your home. You have to go to a treatment center or take large portions of your time out of your day. So I, I think it's useful. I just think there's maybe simpler, um, potentially even more uh, effective strategies. Well, I, I think uh, the high dose, high dose curcumin, you know, the, the highly bioabsorbable curcumin, mm-hmm. 
the omega-3 fatty acids, mm -hmm. fish oil, high-dose fish oil, resveratrol, L-carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid. These are all agents that enhance mitochondrial function. Infrared light. Infrared light, okay. Near infrared, near infrared. Near infrared, near infrared. Near infrared. Yeah. yeah, you. I appreciate that. You, you, I, I like that. That, and you know, that is a program. There's no program for these guys. I see them. You know, I've got it. So what am I supposed to do? Wait until it kills me. I just don't agree with that. No, no, no. You've got it. You know, I would, and if you need some help, I'd be glad to assist you, but, you know, develop a protocol that's implemented for the teams professionally. Cause as we're, we're recording this, I think they're, it's off season. Yeah. Super Bowl's in January. So they haven't started yet. So there's plenty of time to develop a protocol that when these guys get injured, this is what they do. Boom, 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 boom. There's no thought. They just do it. They follow the TBI protocol. So, and then you can, you can, you can um, yeah. compile the data and get the studies published and hopefully yeah. spread yeah. this throughout the league. Yeah. I know, I know Dr. Amen. Uh, yes, Daniel Dr. Amen, Texas, sure. Daniel Amen has actually done a study uh, with NFL players using many of the things that you and I are talking back and forth about. And, uh, but it's not widely but known. He's not a team physician for professional football. Yeah. <laughs> you true. are. You've got yeah. the... You've been doing it for 25 years. Got you've got the reputation, the professional respect, the ability to actually implement something that you know. Someone like me, they would just laugh and say, "Hit the door, buddy. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, you you you've got the credentials to do this. I mean, this could be, yeah. well, this could this could help lots of people. It really could. I mean, this could change the whole face of this injury. Well, I appreciate that. We. Here at the University of Pittsburgh, we've worked on prevention. We developed the impact test. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a never heard of it. Cognitive test, a 20-minute test that baselines literally uh, the end of the athlete takes the baseline test: memory orientation, ability to process information, a basic neuropsychological evaluation. If there's a concussion, it then is tested again. It's the it's the standard of care virtually. Uh, in most professional sports, we have uh, over 13 million kids with this test to prevent the second injury, which is critical. If you have a concussion, you don't go back until you meet certain criteria. They are very strict and they have to be followed. So we've been in the prevention mode for the last 15 years. Treatment mode or prevention with a kind of the kind of methods you're suggesting, I think, clearly are needed. Yes, and very few people would disagree. The prevention is far more effective <laughs> uh, the approach than, than the treatment strategy. So, yeah, if you need, let me know if you need okay. any assistance on this, because I think I that could be, that, that is a worthwhile endeavor. And, uh, you know, I can, it's a simple thing. It probably wouldn't take more than a few minutes of my time, but if it takes more, that's fine too, because this is an important uh, project. Well, Put something together and, and yeah. pass it by you. Yeah, that's great. All right. So, any other words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I, I think uh, you know the book Square One: A Simple Guide to a Balanced Life is a good basic primer. Burnout, and also if you are burned out or uh, overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted, a to get your life back in order. 
This is a good strategy. It's an easy read. This is not complex text. This is not written like a neurosurgery textbook. I can assure you it isn't. So it's an, easy, it's an easy read and easy to understand, not complex principles. And I think there should be some, some good wisdom there if you feel that you're suffering from a professional challenge and life uh, burdening uh, consequences like uh, Dr. Maroon went through, then this is something to consider. Thank you very much. All right. Well, it's good having you on today. My pleasure.